Well, thank you very much. It's good to be here on this bright Colorado sunny day. Um, I am a member of this church, uh, but I do get the opportunity to travel around the world and see what God is doing. And it's really good to be able to uh, uh, see the world. You know, it's awfully easy in America to be isolated from what is happening in the rest of the world, isn't it? So it's good to uh, look up once in a while. And, you know, it's an exciting time for the kingdom of God in the world today. And I want to tell you a little bit about that and appreciate the opportunity to do so. Um, a woman was watching the Jesus film uh, on satellite TV, and she had all of her doors and windows shut tight because it can be dangerous and even illegal in some countries to, to listen to a gospel broadcast. And so at the end of this program, there was an opportunity for uh, people to receive Christ. And they were using words like, open the door of your heart, and, and so forth. And she didn't understand that, misunderstood it. So she went to her bedroom door, and she opened it. And there was a bright light there, to her astonishment, with a figure there. And she knew it was Jesus, but she was kind of dumbfounded and just stood there. And finally, the figure said, are you going to invite me in? Well, anyway, uh, she was able to call the number that was on her screen, and they helped her to receive Christ. Now, that might seem very strange, but there are many stories like this that we hear from all over the world these days. Jesus is at work today much like he was in the first century. Uh, from the very beginning, Jesus has been passionately concerned for the people he created, the people he died for. And it's interesting to see how between the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, how much Jesus emphasized to his disciples that it was their job now to take the gospel to the whole world. I want to take you back to a scene uh, between Peter and Jesus. Jesus has already gone to the cross, and he's beaten it through the resurrection. And he has appeared to the disciples several times, but they don't really understand what's going on, and they're kind of hanging around waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak. And at one point, Jesus and some of the others, they go fishing, and in the morning, they see someone on the shore who calls out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? And it doesn't take long for Peter to realize that it's Jesus, so he jumps out of the boat and swims to shore uh, where Jesus has some fish uh, for breakfast for him there. And I imagine that that meeting may have been just a little bit awkward because you remember that, Jesus, uh, that Peter had betrayed Jesus three times. Then we have a critical moment right after breakfast in which Jesus asks Peter a question. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter, perhaps a little bit too forcefully, says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, Feed my lambs. Then surprisingly, twice more, Jesus repeats the question, Peter, do you love me? And twice more, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus simply responds, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Scholars like to speculate as to what was going on in this conversation, this little bit odd, uh, but I think it's really fairly simple. 
Jesus felt that this was really very, very important, and he wanted to make a point. And I think Peter got it. Peter, I have a world of sheep out there. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You see, love for Jesus comes with love for whom he cares about. The dear ones, the lambs he died for. You want to show that you love Jesus? Feed his sheep. Care for people. Remember that he died for them. As the Apostle John later says in Scripture, we love because he first loved us, right? Uh, but Jesus didn't just say this to Peter. He also said it to all of us when he, uh, just before he ascended to heaven, he spoke to the assembled crowd and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, the love of Christ compels us to be involved in mission. Now, it has been 2,000 years since that day on the beach with Peter, but God has never given up on the world. It has always been his mission, his purpose, his goal to redeem his fallen world. This is what we call the Missio Dei, the mission of God, to establish his kingdom in the hearts of the people of the world. It's the reason why we're still here, the reason God hasn't taken us up to heaven. His work has not been finished yet, and his intent is to use us as his partners to uh, reach the world. We are his partners in the mission of God, true friends in the world. Jesus said, as a father has sent me, so send I you. Now, God has been working his Missio day for centuries now, always working toward that day when every knee will bow before Christ and acknowledge him as Lord. The final book of the Bible, Revelation, looks to the end times and says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his, and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. I want to tell you today that the signs are there. We are approaching uh, the culmination of history, and God's kingdom is bursting forth throughout the world. The signs are there that we are nearing the end of the battle. This is the time in history when God's kingdom is bursting forth. This is the time. And it is time for God's forces to push through to victory. In Matthew 13, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Well, for 2,000 years, the kingdom has been growing and, and advancing. And today we see the reality that uh, God's kingdom has become a tree among the nations. And just as the birds of the air uh, perched in its branches, so millions of people around the world are finding refuge in the good news of Jesus, 
even in the, uh, in the midst of this world which still breeds darkness and hopelessness. Now, I've had the opportunity to travel around the world and uh, just been, has been in awe of what God is doing. You know, Christianity is now the largest faith in the world, and it is growing supernaturally. Where it used to be that Christianity was centered in Europe and the United States, um, today uh, we are only 25% of the world's Christian population. I was at a pastor's conference in a certain country, a country that 50 years ago had only 500 Christians in it. And at the end of the conference, an older pastor stood up and with great emotion spoke to the, uh, to the uh, assembled pastors there, about 200, and he said, when I started my ministry 45 years ago, I prayed that there would be 20,000 evangelists and pastors for our country. And he said, a leading pastor... Uh, laughed at that, and he said, well, there's only 500 of us in the country. How can you pray for 20,000 pastors and evangelists? And he said, I got discouraged at that, and I even stopped praying for that. But God has brought me here today to see you. God has been answering my prayer. You know, in that country today, there are not 500 believers. There are over 1 million in this country. <clears throat> Amen. Today, across the world, uh, it is reported that 50,000 uh, new believers are being baptized every day. Similar things are happening around the world. Uh, today, more than three quarters of the world's population live outside of the United States and, and Europe, uh, live in, 77% live in South America, Africa, Asia. We have gotten to the point where the biggest spreader of the word of God is not coming from the work of the West, but is coming from the work of those people in their countries, those local people, who are simply sharing what God has done in their life. 50,000 new believers are being baptized every single day. The number of new believers is likely much larger than that because that's the number of baptized believers. Christianity in Africa and South America is just exploding. Christianity Today, Christianity Today, the magazine, reports that in 1900, there were roughly 9 million Christians in Africa. Today, there are 541 million Christians in Africa. It, Amen. The, in the last 15 years alone, there have been a 51% increase of Christians in Africa. Africa is the largest Christian country, continent uh, in the world today. In the meantime, technology and the internet has made it possible for millions of people to hear the gospel, even in countries that actively suppress uh, the good news of Jesus. The translation of the Bible into languages around the world is quickening with some help of translation programs that really quicken the pace. Today, largely due to the work of Wycliffe, which Dave and uh, Marilyn Henney worked with for many years, uh, there are now 704 languages that have complete translations 
of the whole Bible. That covers 5.7 billion people. That's almost three-quarters of the world's population. In addition to that, there are 815 million people who have a complete New Testament in their language. That is just phenomenal. And this is why I say, this is the time in history when God's kingdom is bursting forth. The time for God's forces to push through to victory. But what happens when you corner a desperate enemy? In World War II, the bloodiest battles were in Iwo Jima and Okinawa, when, J when Japan was virtually defeated, but it wouldn't surrender. Well, in a similar way, it seems like Satan knows his days are numbered. And so the challenges to the church are increasing. The last two decades have seen some of the worst atrocities and scourges that the world has ever seen. War upon war, many of which you can name, but there are many others that hardly get any press. Many countries of the world are in perpetual civil war, and it never gets any better. And these wars devastate the lives of millions. Besides that, illness and disease ravage the world. Of course, you know about AIDS, and we're in the middle of this pandemic, which are killing millions. I won't belabor the statistics right now. You probably know them. These are just some of the more recent travesties, tragedies, uh, that have hit our world. But that doesn't say anything about the traditional uh, troubles that we always face, troubles like pornography, poverty, drugs, civil unrest. 168 million children are caught up in slave labor, half of those in hazardous situations. <clears throat> and everywhere, God's people are trying to be light and life in word and deed everywhere in this dark world. But it is overwhelming. Uh, on the one hand, the gospel has been advancing, but the lines are thin. In a lot of these places where the needs are the greatest, the church is being persecuted the most. Another great challenge to the church that I am particularly concerned about is this shocking statistic that I have personally seen evidence of, and that is out of 2.2 million pastors in the world today, only 5% have any Bible or pastoral training. Now that's bad enough. But when you consider that there are 50,000 new baptized believers every day, and if we say that there ought to be one pastoral leader for every 50 Christians, that means there needs to be about 1,000 new pastors every day. That makes the training of pastors and leaders a crucial strategic need in the world. When you advance and advance, you can stretch too thin so that you become vulnerable to counterattack. Still, the kingdom of God is advancing, and it is exciting to see God's people rise up. Countries that used to be receivers are now senders and givers and movers and shakers in the world. Christians in Korea, Brazil, Nigeria, Philippines, really many countries are now sending out workers to spread the good news of Christ. 
Now, another crisis you may have heard about uh, is in Lebanon. A student of mine who works there reported that Lebanon has been going through a real political upheaval, uh, social chaos, and economic uh, uh, crisis. And this was happening even before the August 4th explosion that you might have heard about uh, in Beirut. He says, for example, local currency has uh, lost over 85%, 85% of its value. You can imagine what that does to an economy. Uh, half of Lebanon, uh, Lebanon citizens are now living below the poverty line. And Lebanon used to be one of the shining lights of the Middle East. There has not been a government in Lebanon for nine months, which also means that it's difficult to get international aid in there. But he goes on to say, uh, with a great deal of hope, that within a mile of his uh, own home, he knows of five churches that are uh, serving the disadvantaged Lebanese and refugees with food and clothing and medicine every day, while at the same time, church services are more active and are much more visible in the country. And at this point, I'll mention that we here at SCC are involved in helping uh, through our support of Gabby, a Lebanese pastor who has a church there. And after that big explosion, uh, SCC took up a collection for Gabby and, and his church, the King Jesus Church. And they were able to buy food and create packages of relief to deliver to the Lebanese affected by that explosion as well as to other Syrian refugees. There are, I think, two million refugees in that country. They did uh, several hundred packages uh, that they were able to distribute, which is really amazing considering the lack of resources in that country and the lack of infrastructure right now. We're really proud of him. I'm also very excited about a special program in Africa uh, called MMD, More Than a Mile Deep. Uh, these Africans have put together a training program for Christian pastors who cannot get otherwise to uh, a Bible school or seminary. Uh, this program is designed by Africans, for Africans, uh, taught and run by Africans. One of the problems in the world is that much of the Bible training, pastoral training, is often based on Western materials courses that are designed to teach American pastors. But these, sadly, are often not relevant to the people uh, in Africa or South America or wherever it is. Not practical, doesn't teach them how to, to actually minister in their countries. So they, uh, th these African leaders got together and put together from scratch a new curriculum of courses that's relevant to Africa, that's full of practical things that a pastor can use in their towns and villages and cities. And God has been using it in powerful ways. There's one story. I was able to visit some of the students in Mozambique that had gone through this program. And in one community, they were struggling with a combination of AIDS and tuberculosis. And so this one student decided that um, as his course project, he would adopt two or three families in his community, families that he knew that had at least one, maybe both parents that had both tuberculosis and AIDS. There was a clinic that was giving medication for this, but it was very strong medication, and 
they weren't getting enough nutrition to make this medication effective. So he decided just, he knew that they all had little plots of land just around, right around their homes. So he taught them and helped them plant uh, a garden uh, and taught them how to raise some chickens so that they could have better nutrition. And what was interesting is that this was not something normally done in this village. But the other villagers saw how smart this was. And so soon that whole village was transformed with these little uh, garden plots, all done in the name of Jesus. This African training program has resulted in hundreds of these practical, transformative projects that strengthen the communities uh, and, and spread the kingdom of God, uh, as we've talked about so much in this church. Now, what does this all mean to you, to this church, to us Christians in America? God is working through his people around the world and they are the ones these days who are leading the charge in evangelism and outreach. They are the ones who are planting churches, and they are the ones who are pastoring those churches. So perhaps our role is changing a little bit, and we are not so much the ones on the forefront of mission and outreach. Um, they themselves are taking on much of that burden, and they are becoming very very creative and effective in God-inspired and God-empowered ways. Now, don't get me wrong. There is still plenty of room for American missionaries to go and make an impact. Plenty of room. Um, I want to mention right now two of our missionaries, uh, Sandy and Albino Rodriguez. They're in Peru. In Peru, there is no formal schooling in the rural areas past sixth grade. So young people come to Cusco, the big city, to get high school education and then maybe after that some technical uh, training or even university. And Albino himself is from a Quechua uh, indigenous area and knows just how difficult, it is to, how difficult it is to adapt to a big city if you're from a rural area. Uh, when he came to the city, he was helped by a Christian Peruvian literacy center, and he knows just how much that assisted him in his adjustment. Albino uh, met Sandy at this literacy center, and uh, they fell in love and got married and now have a family. And then they began working on Albino's vision to help his people. And their innovative idea is to help rural Quechua uh, students uh, by with a uh, Christian center and a home where they can be encouraged, they can be taken care of, they can be taught the ways of city life, how to find a job. They can be taught how to avoid being taken advantage of by city people who see these Christian, these uh, country bumpkins uh, there and take advantage of them. Right now, they have a plan to uh, have many more of these, but uh, smaller Christian homes, which might have just two or three students. And so now they're recruiting house parents from the local churches to work with these students, and that way they can handle many more. Cusco has more than a million people, so you can imagine uh, that there are many dangers for naive uh, country kids. By the way, uh, SCC also sent money 
uh, for COVID relief to Sandy and Albino, and they made food packages and were able to uh, distribute them with the help of the local churches. So God's people are as Americans, more and more, is like playing the role of Aaron and Hur with Moses. When they were fighting the Malachites, when Moses' arms were up, they were winning. But when Moses got tired and his arms drooped, the Israelites began to lose. So Aaron and Hur got on either side of Moses to raise his arms up. And that's kind of what we're doing in America. God's people are working in spectacular ways, but it's part of our job these days to lift their arms up, to teach, to encourage, to provide resources. We have that critical role uh, because the lines have gotten thin and uh, the, the support lines um, are often very weak, and it's up to us to provide that support. Much of the time, we in America are those supply lines. So what can we do? Well, here's some points. We can teach. This is an amazing statistic. See if you can wrap your, arm, uh, your brain around it. 85% of the world's trained Christian leaders live and minister here in the United States. 85% of the world's trained Christian leaders. That means that we can help teach. It's not that they can't. Uh, they're certainly able to do that, and they are in many countries all over the world. They're setting up their own schools and uh, uh, taking on that mantle of education. But there's still plenty of room for help. Another thing we can do is we can provide support services. Besides teaching, we can also help by uh, helping these pastors and church leaders meet the overwhelming needs of their communities. Uh, you know, it, when they're surrounded by the chaos of disease and poverty, uh, war, uh, if you're a pastor there, you can't ignore what is happening around you. And so they need to be involved in their communities, and we can be part of the resource, resources for that. I have a good friend, for example, in uh, California, and uh, she makes little girl dresses along with several other ladies in the church. And through an organization called Dress a Girl Around the World, they're sending these dresses to various missions around the world. And there are many, many things that you can do like this. I want to mention a young woman in our congregation, uh, Lisa Simon, who went to Ethiopia for a short time, and God led her and her husband, Atkelt, to work with a mission called El Shaddai Child Development. And she wrote this to me. This mission seeks to free children in Ethiopia from poverty in the name of Jesus by supporting their physical, academic, and spiritual development. Children in poverty are given the opportunity to receive an education, food, clothing, and health care, and also participate in spiritual discipleship. She says they had been doing additional relief efforts during this current crisis because so many people have lost jobs. <laughs> And so they have been pro providing uh, relief and help. And they have launched an income generation program so that people will be able to sustain themselves in the future. For those of you at home, uh, we're going to 
give you a couple of links that you can look at, and you can read more uh, about Otkelt and Lisa and their little son, Mesmer, uh, through that website. And they've got a great little newsletter uh, that you can sign up for as well. Then finally, uh, not finally, but uh, we can also help in financial support. It costs money to do all these things. And we in the United States have the money. You know, we spend more on bubblegum every year than we spend on missions. Christians, Christians spend more on their pets than, they, than we spend on missions. If we American Christians just spent 1% of our finances on missions, we would meet every single mission need out there in the world. Now, we need to do it smartly, but uh, we can help, that's for sure. And then fourth, and don't take this lightly, we can be informed and pray. Try to stay, what? Try to stay up on what is happening in the world. Adopt some countries, adopt some missions and people and pray for them. You know, we need the power of God in this battle. And God said that we release that through the power of prayer. What a time we live in. In football, it would be the last quarter of the Super Bowl in the last 10 seconds. And we have been progressively marching toward our goal line, and it has been a hotly contested game. But now the ball has been snapped, and the crowd jumps to its feet, cheering wildly because Jesus has the ball. He's breaking through the lines, and we're going to win. The crowds are standing on their feet and cheering, except that there's this one section that just kind of sitting in their feet, kind of staring off into space. Uh, they've got the most expensive seats. In fact, they're dressed very nattily in, in the best sports clothes, all decked out in colors that are, uh, you know, coordinated with our team's colors, but they aren't very engaged. And the cheerleaders rush over there and, and try to get them excited, and, and, but they just kind of sit there. And so the Cheerleaders rush back to those who are standing and cheering. Well, you can probably guess who I'm suggesting is that crowd that's asleep in the stands, the American church. Uh, the ball is in play, and God is working today in the world in ways that rival what, what he did in the, in the Bible. The victories and the challenges are great, and the stakes are high. Jesus calls us to help. Feed my sheep. Now we're going to pause here and say goodbye to our folks at home. Uh, we have some more sensitive topics that we want to cover, but we want to bless you, and so I'm going to ask Eric to come up and, uh, and do that. Thank you. So, Alan, while you were speaking, I was thinking of a sports analogy before you went to football. But I was thinking of a soccer game. I was with my kids in the, uh, uh, it was a professional soccer game. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of soccer because the scoring is so rare, right? And so, but it was a good, entertaining game. It was happening. And then, of course, my son, he's close to being addicted to cotton candy, right? So we have to leave the game to get cotton candy. And then... Uh, another a hot dog and Pepsi, and we missed half the scoring of the soccer game. <laughs> Getting, but that was part of their fun. But sometimes I think of the American church like that. 
if I'm honest, sometimes I think of myself that way, right? We can be so focused on the cotton candy in our lives. We can, be, we can miss this awesome, incredible kingdom advancement around the world. Jesus said, go and make disciples of a few nations. No, he did not say that. What did he say? All nations. That was the commission. He's saying, like, care about this work. Care about the every corner of this world. It, find ways. As a church, we continue to find ways to engage ourselves in this kingdom movement around the world. And, and it, it, there's a certain degree that, you know, Alan focused on some of the other missionaries that we support, but Alan is also... Talk about that. Yeah, you're going to talk about that. Um, so this idea of find ways to, to stay in the game globally. Find ways to uh, you know, put down the cotton candy of your everyday life sometimes and engage in that day-to-day. And just one real practical way, in your bulletin, there is a tearaway, and there is a, that final section, I would like to pray for my SEC family. Please add my name to the prayer list. And if you put that down, we have folks that type up our prayers for our community of faith every week, and we put our, the missionaries that we support Every week is a way to pray for them. That would be the, the very first step. You could fill that out. You could put that in the little wooden box um, uh, online. You can email us, let us know to put your name on that prayer, that very first step. All right, I'm going to do a little benediction for those at home. If those at home want to open their hands, would you go and make disciples of all nations? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.